Canadian Football Perspective podcast is brought to you by our friends at Fox 40, helping you return to play safely with their latest innovations, the Fox 40 Tri-Layer Whistle Mask and the Fox 40 Electronic Whistle. To check out these products and more, you can visit fox40shop.com. And don't forget, they've got much more than just that. You can head over there and get Fox 40 gear, whistles, and coaching boards as well. Use the promo code CFP15, that's CFP15, at checkout for 15% off everything on your order. Just want to know why my time, I can't change my times, kickoff times, and it's in Paraguayan standard time. <laughs> I'm not making that up. Have you ever P-Y-S-P. been to Paraguay? <laughs> you've That's never, what it's, P-Y-S-P. You've never, I'd never you, heard of it before as a time zone. I was going to say, Paraguay. have you have you never been to Paraguay? Because that would be my first question. I've never been to, never been south of Cozumel. No. <laughs> Cozumel's not bad, though. That's all right. That's fun. It's fun. Uh, this is usually the part of the podcast uh, that I do a big flowery introduction on everything that uh, the person I'm interviewing does. But if you are familiar at all with Canadian football, this man needs no introduction. And so I would just whatever, choose whatever you're going to do. I would just choose to bring in Mike Hogan right now, live in the podcast, as we welcome him on to TSN 1150 and hit. Oh, unfortunately, not on radio, but that's okay, Mike. We used to love having you on our morning radio show and uh, sharing the gospel on all things Toronto Argonauts. Uh, but glad to have you on here and extremely excited to preview an exciting week two game with you guys and the Argonauts because damn, week one was fun, wasn't it? Oh, it was. I mean, not only was it, hey, we're back, which was great, but every one of the games had uh, a plot, which, you know, sometimes we don't get. You know, sometimes there are four horrendously bad games in the same week in terms yeah. of, you know, it's 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 28 to two. We looked like we were going to have a couple of those and they didn't turn out to be that way, which made the plot line get even better. Um, I don't know how many people would have tuned out of Saskatchewan, BC at halftime or midway through the second quarter and found out when I woke up the next morning, what happened? <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I admit if this had have been the middle of 2019, I may have been one of those people going click. Yeah. At halftime, but because we hadn't seen football in so damn long, I said, I'm going to watch this. I'm going to yeah. enjoy every morsel of this that I can get. And not, a, you know, I, I can watch work play the second half. Oh, no, I can't. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, you know, the, the, the plot thickens. And the one thing that I wanted to see, I couldn't see. And then Mike, Michael Riley uh, caught myself, uh, you know, almost almost leads them back without being able to throw more than 20 yards. Like it was oh, crazy. It was one of the wildest things. And then, you know, the, the same thing happens with Matt up in Ottawa where he doesn't have his normal arm strength and that becomes a hell of a game. So it was just a weird way to kick off the season, but you know what? Ain't that the CFL? Yeah, hundred percent. And I, I love that you like me, despite the fact that we're working in and around the game and uh, you know, for teams and the league and broadcasts and all this is that we're still just fans like that. And that's why we get into it. And that's why we love it. And uh, I always, you know, I heard some people talking about Ottawa Edmonton and saying, well, that first quarter, that was a dog's breakfast. I'm like, I mean, yeah, if you want to just look at like scoreboard or lack of offense for Ottawa, but I'm going like, there's a lot of interesting stuff happening here that I'm, it's interesting that you brought up how starved we've been for CFL football, because I'm with you. Like there, there were so many things that I might have, if it was the middle of 2019, just kind of like shrug at, but there was no way that I was going to look at the first quarter of Ottawa Edmonton and not find something interesting in there because I don't need the scoreboard to light up all over 
in order for me to be interested in a game. And I love that you're the same way in that, where you watch and you find something interesting in every game that you enjoy. There is the one thing I love about live sports, and it always has intrigued me since I was a little kid. Um, it is the best reality TV show. It's, it's not scripted. And, and you have no idea what's going to happen. You do play by play. You know what it's like. You yeah. can do prep and prep and prep and prep. And, you know, something weird's going to happen in the first quarter. And it's like, okay, let's take the game notes, crumple them up, throw them out, because I'm not going to need them, because whatever I expected to happen is not happening. And it's still two minutes into the first quarter. Yeah. And that's that's the great thing about it. Nobody saw that second half working the way it did, especially when Riley came back with, with the bad wing. Um, you know, the, the, may, maybe the closest thing that played out was Winnipeg beating Hamilton because it looked like, in a lot of ways, the Grey Cup game. Yeah. Um, so maybe that was somewhat predictable. I know the Argos surprised a lot of people by going into Calgary and, and, and coming up with two points. I don't think anybody who works for our organization was totally shocked by that. Uh, in fact, I don't think anybody was even moderately surprised that we went in there and won, um, despite not playing a really good game, despite what Bo Levi Mitchell was saying. Um, you know, the, there were a lot of mistakes made, went into a really tough building against uh, a team that has had the Argos number aside from Grey Cups in the last couple of decades and came up with, a, with, with two points in an exciting game with a great finish. I mean, man, CFL's great when it's on. Yeah, hundred percent. It, it was uh, it was so nice to see four varied games, and hoping that we get a bunch of that as well. We are recording this on Thursday afternoon before uh, we end up seeing what happens with Nathan Rourke in this week number two matchup. But we are excited to see how Calgary and BC look. So unfortunately, we can't do the comparison shopping necessarily of uh, the quality of that win in Calgary. But I think we know that was a pretty damn good win. And uh, the, I wanted to ask you. You mentioned that the organization, the Toronto Argonauts, were not that surprised that you went in there and got the victory, despite the fact that the history of Bo Levi against your team and uh, Calgary playing at home in week ones to start the season and all these things, you guys were up against it, like very clearly up against it. And yet you go in there and you gut it out. I loved what McLeod Bethel Thompson said after the game, we're figuring out who we are. And we figured out today, we found out that we've got a lot of heart. And a lot of people might think that that's like generic, say nothing quarterback quote. But to me, I will go back through that game and, Mike, the Argos were trailing on over 50% of the offensive snaps that they took and they never gave up. Like there was never any quit. And in a week one game to not show any quit when you're down and on the road in this situation that you should probably just, oh man, I'm tired or, you know, training camp was long or we're on the road or there's all these COVID protocols or like, there's so many reasons in sports psychology that those guys could have been like, you know what? We're, we're figuring out who we are. Let's today's not our day. And they never, ever did. And I was so impressed by that. How did you see the mojo of the team from Q1 to final whistle? Um, the first drive was perfection. It was, it yeah. was spectacular. McLeod Bethel Thompson, the reads, the reaction, um, the, the receivers, everybody was on, on that drive. Uh, the script from Dinwiddie and Jackson was spectacular. It was perfection then stuff starts to happen calgary makes some adjustments they start bringing some exotic stuff and uh sometimes the argos were able to pick it up it's a very young offensive line sometimes they didn't and the one thing that kept giving me hope and i'm not making the the road trips this year i'm sitting on my you know my big easy chair watching the game and the one thing that kept giving me hope even when they were down by eight points in the fourth quarter was the amount 
of veterans this team has that has been there, has done that, has seen everything in this league before, has seen a lot of stuff in the NFL, has seen a lot of stuff in major NCAA programs and CIS schools, sorry, youth sports schools. <laughs> and yeah, I know it's some things never go. <laughs> but 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 the one thing that just kept me there was that experience. Anybody who's watched McLeod Bethel Thompson the last couple of years saw him have that kind of comeback. They were down 20 nothing uh, in the second quarter against Winnipeg in 2019. They were down even more than that against Ottawa the year before. McLeod Bethel Thompson doesn't give up. He's always got that, okay, guys, here's what we have to do. Very focused. Better receiving core in terms of being a little bit quicker. Um, you know, not taking away anything from S.J. Green or Armani Edwards or like Rodney Smith or any of the other guys who were in there before Darrell Walker. But this is a really deep receiving core, Canadians included. Um, and he was able to utilize eight different receivers, seven receivers and a running back last week. And, and they all got more than at, the, at least two carry uh, two uh, targets. So offensively, I didn't think there was any worry at all that this team was still around as long as it's within one score. Defensively, the veteran stuff came through again. Um, it's a really veteran secondary. And Boris Beattie's a damn weapon. Um, you know, he had that weird one at the end of the first half, and he still can't figure out what the hell happened there. <laughs> but the 58-yarder he missed oh, it looked man. like it went over the it looked like it went over the top of the uprights. I couldn't believe it. Like I, I think that that was Dustin Nielsen that was calling that game, and and him and I think Glenn Suter are going. It was, it was Rod. Uh, it was Rod. Oh, it was Rod it was, Smith. Uh, uh, who was he working with? He was, was working it Dwayne. With yeah, yep. it was doing. Sorry, I got that completely wrong. I have all my games messed up. But it was. Um, I remember him saying as they went out, like, "Well, I guess they're going to give it a go." And I remember Steph Patatsik in the lead up to the 2011 Vanier Cup. We didn't refer to Boris as Boris. We called we called him the alien. Uh, Steph, Steph Patatsik <laughs> called him the alien, and that was before we ever saw what he could do in the pros, Mike. So when they're he's going out there, and it's like, "Well, 58." And, and I, it was funny because they showed the sideline shot on TSN. Of Dinwiddie on you know third and two whatever it was and and pointing and saying something and I thought I was like okay this is first year head coach he's about to make a ballsy decision and go for it on third and two and he's going to run something interesting and and then quickly you realize oh no like his confidence in going hey let's go let's go was the kicking unit and they go out and he honestly it was out of the camera shot. Like he he wasn't inside the camera frame of the uprights and he missed it from 58. So I'm with you like that short one before half, whatever that, that was weird. But I, I was mind blown. Cause I know how strong his leg is, but I had no idea that a human being, even in Calgary could kick a ball like that, that far. And I it, think the, I think on the, uh, on the game play by play, I think the length of that kick or the 54 one that he hit is 69 yards. <laughs> So that's good from 64, at least yeah. 64. And the one thing that the, 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 there are two things that amazes me about Boris. One is how damn big he is. Oh yeah. He's six, four, two forty. Yeah. And you know, you think, okay, he's tall kicker, whatever, whatever. And, and then, you know, getting to know him, most of the time I spent on the sidelines during camp was hanging around him and, and, and Toshi Sato and, and Jake Reinhardt when the other guys were all out on the field and just watching them. And, You'll you'll get this when Boris Beattie kicks a ball, mm -hmm. it sounds different. It's like you know you hear the thump from most guys. This is a thump. like there's this. It's a deep resounding echo when he either punts or place kicks a football. And we watched in awe 
of some of the punts and some of the the the, the field goals that, that he's he put up in training camp. And I was glad Coach went for it because if anything inside sixty, he's good. You know, he's he's going to get it there. And he didn't miss a fifty-eight, and that would have been an Argo record. Then yeah. uh, Rescission has a fifty-seven yarder in the seventies. Uh, so 58 would have been the record and 54 that he kicks in the same game ties him with, for third place with Andrew Cision and Lance Chomack. Chomack has the second longest at 56 or 55. So, I mean, one game he's had two bombs and I'm fully expecting him to do that again because coach has confidence in him. Well, my question is how long into the season until he hits one from a logo? Like, I don't know what logo it is. I don't know if it's a digital logo or it's an actual logo that's painted <laughs> on the field. But I'm just wondering how long, because he's going to hit a kick from a logo at some point this season, isn't he? If he gets a chance, um, you know, end of a half, end of a game. And it, it, it's interesting. And you know, the reason is obvious because people are afraid of missed field goals and what can happen on a big field. I was astonished that 54 was tied for third place in, in club history. I Okay, I, I figured it would be Andrew Cision or Prefontaine or Swayze hit, you know, 55, 56, 57. Uh, I, was, I, I honestly was a little bit surprised by 58, but shocked at 54. Hmm. Um, but it was, you know, hey, he, he's, he's a weapon, dude. And uh, his kickoffs last week averaged 74. Five yards, seventy-six yards. They were they were nine and a, I think it was nine point three yards longer than uh, the kid in Hamilton who was second in the league, and he was nine point two yards further than everybody. Like it was crazy the week yeah. he had in Calgary last week. It's amazing, yeah. And I hope that it continues for him. So uh, we'll oh, talk. And a first, that. yeah. I, I, sorry, I, I know we're on beady, but I'm just I'm, I'm mesmerized by this guy. Same. He did something he had never done before. He punted the ball. It went 72 yards, I believe, right? And there's a contacting the kicker. So he just drills this punt. And Dinwiddie says, no, you know what? That's going to put us within 54. Go out and kick the field goal. <laughs> so Beattie didn't have time to do that visualization thing that every kicker does. He goes from punter to place kicker immediately. And he said he had never done that before. But his mindset is such that, okay, I got to do this now. And like, that's... Think of all the kickers that you either played with at, at university level or have watched in Hamilton or anywhere in the pros that thou, they would have been a basket case after that kind of punt, taking that kind of stat off the board and saying, now you got to go kick a 54 yarder. And Boris was like, you know, okay, I'll go kick a 54 yarder. Yeah. Then he it, crushed again off the top, you know, top of the upright level. It was crazy. Sawdust City Brewing Company is a proud sponsor of the Canadian Football Perspective podcast, offering brewery fresh beer delivered directly to your door. Visit their website at sawdustcitybeer.com to shop their wide variety of brews and to learn more. And of course, you can use that promo code CFL that they've been nice enough to give you, our listeners, right here on CFP. Again, use that promo code CFL and get free shipping on your first order over $100. Available to Ontario residents only, must be of legal drinking age. He, he is an amazing specimen when it comes to kicking. Uh, I also have a question for you here about the offense, Mike. I have a conundrum that I need you to answer for me on the Argonauts because uh, when I watch them play in week one, I see DeVaris Daniels and I go, man, he's really smooth. And then I see Eric Rogers making great grabs. And I'm like the length and the ability to get up and the, the laser beams that you can just throw at his forehead and five feet above his forehead. And McLeod can just be like, yeah, his catch radius is massive. I'll put it wherever he'll go make a play for me. 
Then I'm watching Juwan Briskason get into the end zone. His first touchdown and, and the first catch of the season was a touchdown to start off the game. And then there's this Braverman character. And, <laughs> and like for all the names that I thought I knew that we've been talking about all offseason that I was impressed by, on the first drive that you talked about being perfection and really throughout the game, it was Braverman that blew me away the most. And I don't know if that's because it's fresh and new and different or because he's just that good. But I honestly don't know who my favorite person to watch is when they are targeted. And I don't want you to get in trouble for this, but who is your favorite person to watch get targeted right now in this offense? Because I can't believe the options that are available. I think the correct answer to this one is yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and that's, you know, that's, that's one of the great things that the, the, the quarterbacks here, no matter which one is going to be up has at his disposal, he's got quality and, you know, our best, I think our best receiver in camp was Levine Noel. Yeah. I, and, I saw you writing about him so much. I was reading all of your training camp articles and I kept looking at it and going, there's no way. There's no way. There's no. And then we get into the game and he makes a catch in the first drive. And I'm like, okay, add that one to the list. Where, where he's hit six yards downfield and turns it into about a 12 yard gain. And then there's one at the end of the first half to set up the field goal that doesn't happen. But he's one missed tackle away from taking that to the house. All he did was catch stuff inside the red zone and in the end zone, all training camp. And he, he went from very quickly being an afterthought as a special teams guy who can line up and play receiver. And he started looking like the guy he was like at U of T. Yeah. Uh, the first, the first time I saw him play live, um, it was a Laurier game. There was a, there was a Labor Day game in Hamilton. I was driving back to Whitby and U of T played Laurier that night at varsity. So I stopped by, I watched that one as well. And Dylan Campbell was running back for Laurier and he went off for, just under 300 yards like he had he had an incredible game and I left saying that Noel guy is incredible because he had like close to 200 yards receiving at a losing cause and he was this man child out there because he was so much more he was a little bit older uh, but he was so much more physically mature than everybody else that he was playing against and it was like this guy's gonna play at the next level and that's the guy that he started to look like in camp and Curly Gittens was great and you know, we saw flashes. Now it's just getting a little bit more uh, consistent uh, from Dejan Brissett. So, you know, there is there are so many weapons to work with. And some of the guys on the practice roster, I mean, it's just, it was insane how many good receivers were at camp this year. So I honestly can't pick one because, you know, I couldn't fall in love with anybody at camp because every day it was somebody different. Yeah, and it's um, it's amazing because I always think about things from a quarterback perspective. And for me, you know, when I'm at McMaster, I know that Mike DeCroce is my stud, right? He's he's into the boundary. He's quicker than everybody. He's He can just outrun everyone with pure speed. Over the field side, it's like I've got my comfort blanket and Benny O'Connor, who I went to high school with. And I've got, you know, uh, Danny Vandervoort, who's a great vertical threat. But, like, maybe I don't trust him as much on some of the underneath stuff because he's more of a, a jump ball type guy. And And I'm looking at how I would scout the Argonauts offense and the receiving core. And I'm trying to understand how a defense like Winnipeg, for example, we'll talk about them in a second here, but how a defense like Winnipeg and how Richie Hall is going to look at it and, and find a tendency. Like, how are you going to say, well, we can roll coverage to Rogers. Okay. Well now you just left press case alone or like let's roll over to Braverman because he's getting after it in week one. And we think we have a bit of a scouting book on him and the type of routes he runs. Okay. Well now, DeVar Daniels is open. It's, like, I just I don't understand 
how you do anything other, and this might be, you know, superfluous coming out of a week one victory on the road and all the rest. Sure. But I honestly don't know how a defense does anything other than play base coverage and not try to double anybody or lock down somebody or because all you can really do at that point, if you're going to do that is double or focus on players or roll coverage towards players and just rotate who you're rolling towards. Cause you have no idea where the ball's going. And as long as the quarterback's getting through his reads, if you're going to throw coverage at one direction, he's just going to go the other way. And if he does, there's always a great option out there. So it's, that's the conundrum that I think that they are putting defenses in as we start the season. This, it's all matchups, right? And you know that if you're a quarterback and you're looking over the secondary, unless you've got six studs in the secondary, there's going to be a mismatch. Yeah. And and that's the glorious thing about this offense is, you know, you've got guys, all of whom, you know, the, the Argonauts quarterbacks, all three of them have starting experience in the CFL. Uh, people forget Pipkin is our number three right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Who started in Montreal. Man, that kid's got a gun. Um so you've got three guys who have, you know, varying degrees of, of starting experience in the CFL, but they've seen stuff before. It's not like it's a guy coming up from the States who's new to the game and new to this extra guy in the secondary in the wide field and coverages. And these guys have seen it all. So it's going to be, you go up, you look over, you got to play call and you identify which matchup is in your favor and ping, ping, mm-hmm. ping, just find your guy. Yeah. And that's yeah. what's going to make this fun. And that's why when you ask that question, who's your favorite receiver? It's it's the guy that's open, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's whoever that's going to be, and you know, guys have different skill sets. You know, Braverman's going to be in that R spot because he's got, you know, he's got that physical skill set that's perfect for that position. You could you could mix and match these guys all over the place, and you could take the Canadian, and you know, if it's if it's Breskison, if you're going to go with a four American package, um, you know, Breskison could play Z, he could play the boundary, he could play slot, he could play anywhere, he could play the R with his skill set. Um, just find that matchup. And, you know, that's, that's a fun thing. If, if, if there's a weak spot in the secondary, they'll find it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, it's funny too, because you say that Braverman's got that ability to play the R. Well, it's like, well, I, I could comfortably put Breskison in that R spot yeah. too, and have yeah. him be the inside of the field, or I could flub Jean Brissett over into the boundary if I wanted to. And I can go with a completely different look. And, and we haven't even talked about, uh, you know, John White and how well he's running and all these things. So there's a, there's a lot of strengths, obviously on the offense and uh, the first and forget, thing- his, forget John White's running for a minute. <laughs> Just put together a video of him and AJ Olet blocking. <laughs> yes, that too. Do yeah. that. Yeah, I'm going to look back case. through he, it. Now. He had a couple of just, he had a, a, just a couple of blowups uh, in terms of, of hitting a defender and just stopping him in his like just if you're if you're a, a coach uh, whether you're Fred Reed the running backs coach or if you're Dinwiddie or Jarius Jackson you're just looking at that and saying oh yeah yeah oh yeah that's that's what we want our backs to do. The, uh, the important thing, of course, when you play against the defending Grey Cup champion Winnipeg Blue Bombers is all of these things that we're talking about that we love to see can only come to fruition if you protect your passer properly against Willie Jefferson and Jackson Jeffcoat. So talk to me about the offensive line, where they stand going into this game, and how you view the matchup in the trenches when Toronto has the football going into Friday Night Football. Yeah, that's in the trenches. That's, that's the whole game this week, right? It is. And I think anytime you play Winnipeg, that's the game. Uh, can, can you stop them from getting seven yards running the football on first down? Can you make, can you put them in second and long? Can you get contained from your defensive ends? Uh, that's going to be a big thing. We'll you know, Glenn Young has practiced against this offense, you know, all last season and 
so he knows not only the personnel but the schemes. So you know, there's a bit of an advantage there. But they practiced against Glenn last year, so um, you know, I'm looking for those big time. And in terms of the offensive line, it's a work in progress. Uh, it's it's guys who have, for the most part, not played together aside from Darius Bladek and uh, uh, Brain Grant, Phil Blake in yeah. Saskatchewan. You know, we got uh, uh, Allen is new to the league and Castro is new to the league and Campbell's been here his entire career. So uh, it's it's guys that that played for the most part, I thought, pretty well. There were there were some breakdowns, but that's going to happen uh, in week one when, you know, the other thing that, that kind of held this group back in terms of development is during camp. Basically, somebody was injured every practice. Um, you know, Dinwiddie was really adamant that if you've got a nick, it's going to be one day sitting out, not one month, because you've gone and aggravated the injury. So, you know, there were days in the Castro was out, days Phil Blake was out, and, and Isaiah Cage got hurt rather early in camp. And, you know, just everybody seemed to go through that, uh, just everybody. So, um, and then there were a couple of veteran days off. So that, that cohesion is something that's going to build. So it's a work in progress. I, I think that the coaching staff would be pleased with the outcome because of the win, but man, there were a lot of coachable moments, and that's that's with any group at this stage of the season, especially with no exhibition games. Yeah. Uh, but um, you know, I, I look at the talent on this line, the way that Shane Richards looks uh, this year compared to a year ago, minus sixty-five pounds. Yeah, I couldn't uh, believe that when I read that in your training camp report. You know, D- D- yeah, he was. For those who don't know, he was uh, he was hurt in camp last year, came to camp to take off weight. And then it was a groin thing. He couldn't even get on the bike for a couple of months. So he left. He report. He wanted to play at 315. He was 350, 355 when he left. He went home, road work, and took up boxing to work on his punch, literally, and his footwork and the cardio. He went from 350 to 275. He hadn't been 275 since grade 10. And he, he came back. He's put on 10 pounds and looks great. So he's 285 right now. Dylan Giffen, when he left uh, Western, was 355 uh, as, as a tackle. And he would have been too slow to play up here at that. Yeah. He was drafted at 320. He reported at 315. Wow. Um, he's, he's, you know, 50 pounds lighter roughly than he played at the end of uh, his last year at Western. So these guys look really good. We got Theron Churchill, our first rounder from two years ago. Can't get him in the lineup. Um, like it's a good young Canadian group that's going to mature together, hopefully, and stay here for a long time. But uh, right now, there are mistakes being made, but every team in the league is making mistakes. Maybe Winnipeg's got a bit of an advantage because that's almost, you know, an intact unit from a year ago. Yeah, for sure. I think that that's fair analysis that they've probably got a bit of a hand up. But as you say, this the long-term vision of Vince Magri and, and Pinball and John Murphy and being able to bring in all of those names and all those bodies, like we, it's really impressive, Mike, when you go through who they've brought in. Because, you know, when you mentioned Dylan Giffen, my knock on him scouting things on CFL.ca leading up to the draft was, God, his foot speed was so slow. Yeah. Like he just, he would get out and he would maul people and manhandle them. But it was like, it doesn't matter if you can manhandle somebody if you can't actually get out, fire off the ball and make a play or get to the second level, which, yeah, you're right. He was too slow to to play, but that's good to hear that he's in better shape. And you know what I really loved seeing in week one amongst all of the the fun, shiny things on the outside and all the free agent acquisitions and otherwise was when I watched Peter Nicastro leading up to the CFL draft from his Dinos tape out in Calgary there, he was in a, in a really stellar offensive line group for the Calgary Dinos. He was always the one who was finishing his reps running 10, 15 yards down the field. 
And that doesn't always translate because you're, you're scared and it's your first game or you're thinking too much or, but there was a couple of replays that I caught where it's a little creation of crosser over the middle or a little curl route or something like that. And Castro turns and runs. And it's amazing to see almost a carbon copy of what somebody's doing in their final year of university. Yeah. You take a year off. You think, well, he might've changed some habits or not be the same player. He's the exact same player. And I was amazed by that. And he's got the versatility to play either spot inside, right? And did. I mean, here's a guy who took some rest when, when, when Cody Speller um, uh, was put on the suspended list. It opened up a spot at center, mm-hmm. wanting to go all Canadian, um, aside from left tackle. And, and you know, uh, Dejan Allen, the left tackles, also played inside. He played some inside at Hawaii um, when he was there. But, you know, they wanted him out at left tackle. So you've got the option now, Phil Blake, who was RG3 center at Baylor, and when he was in the NFL was was a center. But Steve McAdoo loves him at guard because he thinks he's one of the top two or three guards in the CFL. So you don't want to touch him there. At the same time, it's asking a hell of a lot of DeCastro to go in and play uh, an incredibly difficult position on the offensive line at center with all of the – and even if you have Blake make the, 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 the blocking calls at the line of scrimmage, it's still a difficult position to play. So Blake starts at center. I think the long-term goal is to flip-flop them eventually. Nicastro is in at left guard, and then Blake hurts his shoulder with 15 or so plays left in the first half. Nicastro now has to go to center. Shane Richards goes in there. So you got a couple of Calgary natives playing center and left tackle, a left guard rather for the Argos. And the kid did all right. Like he did not look out of place in, in that offense at all. And uh, both kind of on the, on the play, to Ricky Collins that almost went for a touchdown, the long one, you'll see Richards just go out, peel out and blow up his guy at the point of attack. And the Castro's 15 yards downfield. So it's uh, it it was great to see those guys get a little bit of smile uh, because it's well-deserved with the way that, uh, that they played in camp. And it's going to be a while until they're, you know, season pros. There's no question about that, but uh, I don't think there's anybody in the organization that doesn't look at this group and just smiles thinking about what this group might be. Yeah. And the last one that I'll ask you here, teeing up Winnipeg and Toronto on Friday Night Football on TSN is um, that obviously you've mentioned the pressure is always going to be, can you stop Winnipeg before they get a five, six yard surge on you? We know how dangerous the pass rush is for the Toronto Argonauts with Charleston. And I thought that Sean Oakman had a really good first game. Shane Ray, I know got dinged and all the rest, but like that, that group up front, Coney Ely made a couple of plays in the backfields and they're very, very sound and they can get after the passer. My question is, Mike, that like when I watched what happened with, I think Drew Desjardins is on the path to yeah. being just like an all-time great player in this league. But when I watched Desjardins, and oh, by the way, he's next to Stanley Bryant, the left side of that line is monstrous and the right side ain't bad either. So how does Toronto deal with this up front going into this game? Because I, I have the feeling if Winnipeg is to win this game and go 2-0 to start the season, it's going to be because that offensive line is going to do what they do best against a team that we know is able to rush the passer, but we still don't know, at least people from the outside, unlike you, we don't know what they do against a team that really wants to run it right at you. Think about the D-line that Winnipeg has. Think about the D-line that the Argos have. Here's one of those stats that is going to make you go, huh? Mm -hmm. Combined last week, one sack. (laughs) <laughs> that's it the, the Argos had none against Calgary Winnipeg had one against Hamilton uh that doesn't make any sense 
So I'm sure both defensive coordinators are going to dial this one up a little bit and say, okay, we got pressure, but we didn't finish. Mm. And Winnipeg, you know, what worries me from an Argo perspective is Winnipeg had a long break before this. They played Thursday. They get till Saturday off. They didn't have to travel. Argos played two days later, traveled, had the travel schedule screwed up because the plane didn't, they had some issues and team had to stay in Calgary an extra night. Didn't fly home until Sunday instead of the charter coming home Saturday night and then fly out uh, on two, on Thursday to, uh, to Winnipeg. So essentially two practices, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of stuff in the classroom, obviously, but uh, we'll see what Glenn Young does. Like, like I said before, he knows this offense, he'll know where to attack. And it's just a question of how advanced these guys are, but you know, uh, Mwamba and judge certainly help that it's not just the front four, and, you know, there are guys who like to fly in from all over the place. So it's it's a good group. And I, I'm just I'm really anxious to see what Glenn Young dials up because he's got the experience that no other defensive coordinator in the league has against Winnipeg. And that's knowing that personnel better than anybody else. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we will all be watching and uh, find out together. That's the beauty of live sports, even when you are wearing out your lazy boy sitting at home and, uh, and gro grooving it in nicely, as I'm sure as a man who watches a lot of sports at a very high level and understands it at a high level, then uh, I'm pretty sure that you might need a replacement at some point. How close are you to needing a new seat to watch your games or will you ever? Is that just the chair that you're going to die in? Uh, let's see. According to my wife, uh, <laughs> three years ago, it was hit its best before date. Uh, I know you're too young for all in the family, but this has become the Archie Bunker chair. Like this is just, this is just a piece of me at this stage. Um, but yeah, it's comfortable. I think I may have uh, worn out the armrest a couple of times by pounding it after something doesn't go the way of the well, Argos. I, I actually, I, I wanted to ask you that is how emotional do you get now being a member of the Argonauts watching Argos games? Because you've called games for a long time. You've been around yeah. the team for a long time, but you are of the team now. So when you're watching games in your basement, because I, because I picked Toronto to win in Calgary, I was irrationally going, ah, come on. Like anytime that they would make a mistake against Calgary, because I'm like, I want to look smarter than I actually am. Come on guys, help me. Uh, but I'm wondering what, what do you do in games? Like, what is the experience like of Mike Hogan? You should, you should do a second screen experience, Mike. You should live stream oh, yourself man, watching no, games. I would not put myself through that. <laughs> um, when, when I got the job with the Argos in 2018, uh, I got a message from Mike McCarthy. And he said, you will now watch games completely differently. Yeah. The wins are going to be sweeter, but the losses are going to hurt. And I, I thought, okay, that's nice. Yeah, okay, thanks, Mike. And mm -hmm. Matt was he bang on. Um, because it had been a year and a half and there had been a year and a half of anticipation, we didn't get to see the team that Pinball and Murph and Vinny put together last year. And I don't know if it was a great cup team or not, but it was a playoff team. I don't think there's any question about that. And then the additions that they made this year take playoff team to potential contender. I, I you know, I, maybe I'm biased on this one, but I look at this group and know the coaches involved and say, why not us kind of thing? Um, I don't think I've ever been as nervous before a football game as I was on Saturday. I, I, Marsh, I had knots in my stomach all day. Like it was, I never felt like that. You know, I've, I've, I've called breakup games as an Eagles fan, watching the team get to the, to the Super Bowl, watching, you know, calling Laurier, uh, win a Vania cup in 05, nothing, a freaking regular season game, but it was all of this pent up, I think over a year and a half, almost two years 
of, I want to see what this team is. And I could not wait for kickoff. It was, I couldn't shake it. Like I was doing stuff in the yard and, you know, picking weeds in the front yard, trying to, trying to do anything to get my mind off the game. But man, it was, it was, it was very taxing. Um, I, I can't wait until we do our home opener to be up in the broadcast booth where I have a place to put my emotions. And uh, just just a reminder that tickets are on sale now for the 21st, 4 o'clock kickoff against Winnipeg. Season tickets, best deal, Argonauts.ca. Go and watch live football. That's what we love. There you go. It is just one week away. So get your tickets, go out and watch some great football live. And again, there'll be lots of fun storylines coming out of Toronto in Winnipeg. When Winnipeg comes to Toronto, the old home at home in weeks two and three will be intriguing to uh, say the least. Mike, thank you for doing this. You're the best, man. It's always great to catch up with you. I know I'm the best. That's why you keep bringing me back. (laughs) 